Is that good? Okay. Well, good morning. Um, I, I'm always pleased to come and be able to speak to you. It's, it's really, I'm, I really want to thank, you know, the pastors and the leadership team and for you to all these invitations to do this because it's not something I take lightly or take for granted. Um, Dan did a series on, from the Gospel of John uh, called Jesus Says or Jesus on Jesus, and he wrapped it up last week at Easter. We wanted to stay in John for just one more lesson, um, and we're going to look at uh, John chapter 21, the last chapter of John. You might recall that the Gospel of John begins with a prologue, 18 verses that starts out with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and it goes on for 18 verses, of setting the stage of when Jesus comes into the world. It says, he came to his own. The, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who'd been looking for the Messiah for hundreds of years. He came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. They rejected him. But in verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12, yet to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So we saw them rejecting him. We saw the crucifixion. We read the crucifixion last week. And when did this other thing happen? When did he give them the right to become the children of God? So that's kind of happened a little by little, but it really happens in the 50 days between his resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Until then, his ministry had been public. Tens of thousands of people probably had heard his teaching, had seen the miracles, thousands probably witnessed his crucifixion. But after that, it's very specific. He, he, it's only to those who've received him. After his resurrection, it's only to selected individuals in selected times and places that they get to see. He doesn't go back to Pilate, the religious leader who condemned him, and say, huh, guess you got that one wrong, huh? He doesn't go to Caiaphas, the high priest, and say, look, pal, that's, that's, that's what I would have done. I'd have been at Caiaphas's door the first thing and saying, yeah, who's the king of Israel now, buddy? <laughs> but that's not the way Jesus does it. He appears only to those who received him. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, John 3, 17, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, in chapter 21, it describes an incident where he's sending out his followers for that exact purpose so that the world could be saved. You might be familiar with the way the Gospel of Matthew ends, Matthew 8, 29, it's called the Great Commission, where he has, it's in Jerusalem, he's a different, some of the same people, but different people, more people than this incident in John 21, a different location. He has all the people together, all of his followers together, and he says, at the end of Matthew 28, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. 
You might be familiar with that. That's called the Great Commission. Well, this is the Great Commission as it's told in the book of John. Different, different group of people, some of them the same, much smaller group, different location, different, slightly different time, a few weeks apart, but same theme. All right. So as the story begins, the disciples have left Jerusalem. All the festivals surrounding the Passover are done. They've, they've returned home. They've gone, they're going back to their normal lives. For these seven, including Peter, who was their leader, their normal lives meant going back to Galilee to go fishing, since that's what they had been doing before. Okay, so this episode that we're going to read and you can put it up here. Uh, the episode that we're going to read is not called a miracle. The publishers in your Bible have sometimes called it the uh, catch, miraculous catch of fish. But it's not really called a miracle or a sign, but it has the very same effect. It shows Jesus' power and authority to a selected group of people, in this case, Peter and the other six disciples, for a specific purpose. His purpose is to, send, is to commission them to go forth and carry out his work. All right. So, and as he does this, he's going to remind them of things in their lives together. Okay, so let me read. John 21, starting in verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also called Didymus, which means the twin, he was a twin, uh, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that is James and John, and two other disciples were together. These other two disciples aren't named, we'll call them you and me. They're not named, but that's a good, perfectly good thing, All right? I'm going to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, okay, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is how John usually referred to himself, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. All right, so... They've been fishing all night. They've caught nothing. They're probably frustrated and tired. And, and this unknown person from the shore calls to them and tells them to throw their nets on the other side of the boat. And they do, and the catch of the fish is so enormous that they can't even bring the net into the boat. John, who generally seems to be quicker on the uptake spiritually, um, says, it's the Lord. And Peter plunges into the water to get to, the, to, to get to shore. All right, it's a little bit like episode of Easter where the women tell the disciples that the tomb is empty 
and John and Peter go racing to the tomb. John gets there first, but he stands outside looking at it, and Peter runs by him on into the empty tomb. Same personality types, same, you know, the one gets there quicker, but the other one plunges in. Um, and they haul, and they bring the boat to shore. Um, the net we're going to read in a few minutes has, a, has 153 fish in it. I have no idea what 153 means of anything. I don't know why it was 152 versus 154. I don't know why. Don't know what that means. Whatever the point of that is lost on me. But it was a boatload. In fact, it was more than a boatload. They couldn't get them all into the boat. So, all right. So, now, in the next slide, we're going to see this is where it happened. Um, I don't, the iron railing is probably a recent addition. Um, <laughs> but this is the Sea of Galilee. There was the rocky shore where they were. Peter's house is probably about the back wall, a couple hundred yards that way. Um, and so that's, that's where it occurred. Um, that's, that's, and so that's the place where they, where they plunged in. Now, does this story remind you of anything else? Does, that, does it remind you of any other time, any other thing in the Gospels? Well, it might. In Luke chapter 5 is when Jesus calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And we don't know if Andrew's here, but Peter, James, and John are here, are there. That's his first call. That's when he calls them to be his disciples. And there are exact parallels to the same story here. It's exactly the same story, almost exactly the same story. It involves some of the same disciples. This will be the next slide. It's the exact, it's many of the same people. Um, it's the same location. It's the same spot. So where the first one happened. It's the same outcome. They've been fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. Jesus says, throw your net over here. They obey, and they catch a lot of fish. It's this, everything is the same, all right? What Jesus is doing here as he's commissioning them to go forward and carry out his ministry, because he's going to ascend into heaven, they're going to have to carry out his ministry. As he's commissioning them, he's taking them back. Remember, remember where you were. Remember what happened. Remember the situation. There is a, a very important difference. Very important difference. In the first episode, when their original call in, John, in Luke chapter 5, Peter says, Oh, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. He sees the power of God in Jesus, and he recognizes the depth of his sin and says, go away, I'm a sinful man. In the commissioning service, in this one, he sees Jesus and he rushes to get closer to him. That's the big difference. What changed? What changed was he had known he was forgiven by God. 
It's a really kind of a simple barometer that we can use. Does our sin, does an awareness of our shortcomings and our failures and Peter's failures, Peter's denial of Christ three times is an epic failure, right? His, but his awareness of his sin, his failures, doesn't drive him away from Christ. It drives him to him. I think that's a barometer for us. As we become aware of our shortcomings and our failures and the places we've done the wrong things, does it drive us away from God? Or does it drive us closer to God? Because as it drives us closer to God, it makes us more aware of his forgiveness, of his love, and the fact that we're on a mission. So that's a really big difference. I want to talk a little bit more about this. And I want to tell you, I'm going to do two separate sort of personal things. 2003, we were on sabbatical living in Vienna, and we were going to a, a church, an English-speaking church. It was expatriates like us. And, um, and the church was on a... We went on an Easter retreat um, to a conference, a place outside of town. And, uh, and the pastor said, we're out there in the, in the garden standing around, he said, and he asked an important question to the people there. Where were you when Jesus called your name? Where were you when Jesus called your name? And he had the people share. It was, they had come from all over the world. One I remember particularly was an Austrian businessman who said, I was in New York City in 2001 looking out my hotel room window when the planes hit the World Trade Center. And that's when Jesus called my name. Other people said, I grew up in the Philippines. And I can't, and so all the stories. Where were you when Jesus called your name? For Peter and James and John, they were out fishing. They had fished all night without anything, without catching anything. But Jesus called their name. Where were you? I'll tell you mine, a little piece of mine because it's relevant. I've told you before, I grew up in a family that my parents were devout followers of Christ. And I spent, you know, I grew up in a church culture, going to church all the time. And um, when I was a boy, I loved to sing. I constantly sang. I sang, you know, whatever. And my parents said, oh, well, sing songs out of the hymnal. So I would sing songs out of the hymnal. Right? Just to sing. My brothers would cover their ears and make faces at me because they were brothers and that's what brothers do. You know, they support you in all your endeavors. Um, and, and I would sing songs. Last Sunday, on Easter, we sang the Old Rugged Cross, which of course was one of the ones that my parents would have me sing when I was a kid. And as the song began, I realized where Jesus had called my name. I was taken back 60 years as a kid in Punxsutawney, in church. And as we went through the verses, and I couldn't even complete the verses, which was probably good for you, um, uh, but I couldn't even complete because I was, I was reminded, oh, he was with me. 
he was called my name the whole way through high school, through my bad decisions in college. He was with me. He was with me. He called my name. He never, let, he never was absent. I didn't know it. Didn't pay attention. But that's when he called my name, when I was a kid in Punxsutawney. And he's been with me for 60 years. 60 years. And if I didn't get the message, um, I'll just say, praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the song we just sang. Uh, we sang that at our wedding. So just in case I didn't get the message, God's very good at saying, wait, did you not get it the first time? Let me give it to you again. Um, are you a little slow to listen? Let me make sure you got the point. I got the point. I got the point. Where were you when Jesus called your name? Okay. Now, there's a small point in these stories, and I just want to draw it out and point out to you. In Luke chapter 5, it says they caught so many fish, their nets began to strain, but they didn't break. They almost broke, but not quite. In this story, they catch so many fish, they can't even get them into the boat. And the nets are straining, but the nets aren't breaking. What is, why did they put that in there? It's as if God knows exactly what the strength of those nets is. He could bring them to the absolute limit, which was more than the disciples could handle. But he knew where they were going to break, and he didn't break them. Another, another example of that occurred at, this same, at the Sea of Galilee, similar to this, not, not related to this exactly. All right, remember it's an episode where Jesus isn't with them, but the disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee, and this big storm blows up, and they're, gonna, they're convinced they're going to die. Right? And then they see Jesus walking on the water a certain distance away. Remember this story? And he says to Peter, and Peter says, Lord, if it really is you, call me out of the boat. Peter, Peter getting out of the boat while the rest of them are still there. Uh, getting out, call me out of the boat and come to you. And Peter gets out of the boat and begins walking on the water himself. Again, getting closer to Jesus. And then you remember what happens next. Peter takes his eyes off the Lord, he begins to drown, and the Bible says that Jesus, who was standing far off, came sprinting across the top of the water to grab him before he sank and, so, and pulled him out. Remember that? No, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Peter began to sink. Jesus reached down and grabbed him and pulled him up. As if Jesus knew where to stand because he knew how far Peter was going to walk. He knew the limits of Peter's faith. He knew the limits of the nets. He knew the limits of the boats. It was a lot further than Peter or the disciples thought, but he knew it. I have thought of this so many times in the last two years. So many times in the last two years. Look, 
I'm retired. I wasn't going to work. I wasn't trying to work during this, during this pandemic. My kids are grown. I wasn't trying to educate my kids during this time. I had it so much easier than most of you. Most of you were dealing with things that were so difficult. And even I, even I felt like my nets are going to break. My, I just can't handle anything more. I can't walk any farther in this storm. And I would be reminded of these episodes and the reminder that Jesus knew just where the limit was. It was farther than I thought, a lot farther than I thought. But he knew where to be. Okay. So that's the first thing in this commissioning service. Where were you when Jesus called your name? Because we're all commissioned. We're told to go out and make disciples of all the nations. It's not like we were saved just for our own benefit. If we were, we would have been taken up to heaven right away. We were saved because we're to have an impact on the world. And that's where Jesus was sending these disciples. Go out and have an impact. Carry out my ministry. Carry out my mission. So where were you? Remember where you were when Jesus called your name. Okay, let's go back to our text. Next slide. Starting in verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, it was full of large fish, 153 for some unknown reason. But even with so many, the net was not torn. All right? Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So they come ashore. Jesus has prepared a breakfast of them with some loaves of bread and some fish, the bread representing the harvest of the earth, the fish representing the harvest of the sea. He prepares a breakfast to them and he feeds them. Any other stories you remember that involve loaves and fish? Do you remember any of them? Well, there was one. It's called the feeding of the 5,000. You might know that the various four Gospels record different miracles of Jesus. Some of them are in one Gospel, only in one, one account. Some are in twos. There's only one that's in all four of them. And it's this one. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And it's called the feeding of the 5,000, feeding of 5,000 men, feeding of 5,000 families. You want to think about it that way. Feeding of 5,000 families. And it went like, something like this. These people, this crowd, 5,000 people or more, 5,000 families, had been with Jesus all day long. And they get to the end of the day, or getting late in the day, and his disciple says, you know, these people haven't had anything to eat all day. And Jesus says, well, go ahead and feed them. The disciples look and say, 
Are you kidding me? We don't have enough money to feed them. We, don't, we couldn't feed all this mass of people. How could we do that? We don't, we don't have any of the resources to do this. And he says, well, what do you have? He says, well, there's one, there's one boy who brought us five loaves and two fish. He said, well, that's enough. And Jesus, I'm paraphrasing, Jesus takes it and he breaks it and he feeds them all, all 5,000 families. Now, in that miracle, who was the miracle aimed at? Who was the audience? Now, maybe it was the 5,000 families. They certainly got the benefit of it, right? But it's not clear that they knew this was a miraculous situation. Or how many of them knew. Who knew it was a miraculous feeding? The disciples. They were the ones who said, we got nothing. We got nothing. And then they were given the resources to feed 5,000 families. Think about that some more. How long does it take to feed 5,000 people, 5,000 families? And just, you know, just play along with me for a minute. These are Middle Easterners. So there's going to be a certain amount of pushing and shoving and crowding around and, you know, people trying to get, you know, and now Jesus says, go organize it. It's not like they were Germans, you know, or Brits who would stand in a straight line and you could just hold out to the next people. And thank goodness they weren't Canadians. Because if they had been Canadians, it had been, oh no, you go first. Oh no, after you. Yo, I insist you go first. They'd still be feeding the 5,000 Canadians. I could do a whole bit on, on the feeding of the 5,000, which would be culturally insensitive, but it might be funny. <laughs> oh, no. It would have taken time. And if I read the passage right, it was a continuing action over a period of time. Hours, maybe. And what it suggests is it wasn't the feeding of the 5,000 families so much as it was feeding the next family 5,000 times. The disciples are going and saying, that's a big family. They got a lot of kids. Are we going to have enough? I told you I could do it. And, and they can feed them 5,000 times. They can go back and feed the next family. What is that message conveying to them? And why is it brought up here? What it's saying is that I can provide all your needs. Whatever resources you need to carry out this mission, I can provide it. I can meet them. The difference between the two episodes, besides the fact that they're... Oh, and by the way, that also occurred at the same spot. Or maybe here or there away, not very far. It all occurs at the same spot. So they're remembering all of this. The difference is that in the first time, it was Jesus who did the miracle to feed everybody. The second time, this time, the commissioning, he says, bring some of what you have. Contribute what you have. And we'll use that to feed everybody. Okay. Now, so here are the two things in this commissioning service. 
Where were you when Jesus called your name? I will give you all the resources that you need to carry out my ministry. There's a third thing and I want to print out a little bit. It's a little bit odd in the reading in verses 12 through 14. I mean, I'm always, you know, my brain sticks on odd things. And, and the disciples are all there and they say they don't want to say anything. They're afraid to ask him any questions. And it says in 14, this, this, is the next, this was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The NIV says appeared. Um, that may give you the sense of just showing up. Um, for example, it could be, you know, G Peter goes back home and his wife says, Peter's the one disciple we know was married. And, and he says, his wife says, oh, you see, do you see anybody when you're out fishing? Oh yeah, Jesus appeared. I went to the QFC and there were Jim and Janet. You know, so, yeah, I mean, they appeared, you know, or Dan was there for crying out loud. I mean, we had to really behave ourselves because Dan was there. Um, and, no, it's not like that. Other translations have it, this is the third time he was revealed to the disciples, or he revealed himself, it's sort of reflexive, or the old ones would be, it was manifested to the disciples. What happened? Well, we know by faith, as they do, they did, we know by faith and by doctrine that God is always with us. We know that. We, all, we believe that. He's present, he's with us, we know that. But we have these moments, and I suspect all of us have had them, and maybe, or maybe most of us have had them, when it feels like the curtain gets pulled back, and you say, oh, I was just going about my everyday business. I was just fishing. And you realize that you're in the presence of the risen Lord. That during your everyday business, you're in the presence of the risen Lord. And, and how do you respond? Well, I gotta tell you, I usually don't speak. Because anything I say would be, be even more stupid. But if pulled back the the curtain and said, you are in the presence of the risen Lord. And I think that's what happened here. What do we do in these moments? We listen and we respond. Maybe there are changes we need to make in our lives. Maybe there are priorities we need to reorganize. Maybe it's for our reassurance to have the confidence to go forward. But when we have these moments, we call them God moments, or it's a God thing, where it was, but don't trivialize them. Don't reduce them. Because it's times when we know that we are in the presence of the living God. We have to, just as the disciples, do you think they could walk away from this and say, yeah, I'm not going to go into all the world. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. No way. When we have these moments, when we hear God calling our name, we have to respond. Okay, let me pray. We've been called by God, by name, to a ministry to, a ministry, to carry out his ministry on earth.
He's given us all the resources. He has shown he is present with us. The kids' memory verse this month, by, is, by the way, is, I am with you always, which was the last phrase of the Great Commission in Matthew. Let me pray. Lord, uh, we read this, and I gotta t- it, it resonates with me. I know when you called my name. I know the times you've revealed yourself to me. I've experienced times when I felt like there were no resources and you provided the resources. Not miraculously, necessarily, but you called what you did. And I pray that we can respond faithfully to these times. Amen.